for our, our church family this, this evening. There's quite a bit of, of sickness, uh, hospitals, folks in the hospital, um, some, some unexpected deaths amongst uh, some, some close uh, companions in the church. Just, just a lot of things going on. So just be in prayer for your church family tonight. Um, be in prayer for the preacher. He's on vacation. I really don't think he needs to be prayed for if he's on vacation, but, you know, you do what you want to do. Um, <laughs> we always miss him when he's out. But, uh, man, Andrew did a great job Sunday, didn't he? Sure did. That was a blessing. I told him he should have saved that sermon and we could have used it during Missions Emphasis Month. But, uh, man, that was a really good sermon, really encouraging. And, uh, and I know I hate to keep going on about it, but I, was, I really enjoyed that video uh, from the Dominican trip. I had nothing to do with it, so I can brag on it. Uh, but the girl that did it, man, she really did an outstanding job. And uh, Dustin said it wasn't as good as his Nepal video. I said it was. We went back and forth for a few minutes about that. But it was obviously better than his. Um, he's not in here, is he? Okay, good. I can just talk about him all I want to. <clears throat> We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Now, tonight is going to be an unabashed promotion of one of my own ministries. Um, I have an hour here, and you're here, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to promote TBI for the entire service. <laughs> it's going to be really similar. I thought if I've, I've got this opportunity, and uh, we've got a new semester starting at the end of August, and uh, we're gonna, this is a lesson similar to like what I would teach in TBI. A matter of fact, I just took uh, some things from the very first semester in the right division class and kind of compiled them and, and, and compressed them into a an overview. And so if you've ever considered taking a class in TBI and wondered what it was like, hopefully tonight will be similar to that. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably not going to be as, as, uh, as free in here as I am in there because I have 40 people in a classroom setting that can raise their hand and I can clarify something. And uh, it's most important, not recorded. Um, <laughs> so nobody can come back and say, you said um, but so we're, it's going to be similar to that. I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope it'll be a blessing for you. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and for your blessings. And Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. And uh, Lord, you, the, your grace is, is always sufficient in our struggles and our difficult times and Lord we ask a special measure of blessing on people this this evening that are hurting that are struggling with difficult situations in their lives Lord we ask for your blessing upon our church family for for some sickness some death uh, some some illness and complications and tests that are being run and Lord we just ask for you to give the doctors wisdom and their diagnosis in these different areas and the procedures that are being done and Lord, we just ask for your blessing. Uh, Lord, we have a lot of people that are on vacation, that are traveling. We ask you to keep them safe, and we look forward to their safe return. And bless our preacher, Lord. Give him uh, an uh, extra rest while he's out, and we look forward to seeing his return. Please bless this lesson. Help it to be an encouragement tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, the question that we want to ask tonight, we want to look at, at, at keys to understanding the Bible. But before we... Before we get into that, we look at this verse. There's a couple of observations I want to make about this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The first thing is, is just, well, the very first word, study to show thyself approved. Now, words are important. Words are, are, are key. There is a tremendous difference between different words. Um, I, and I'm trying to choose my words delicately here, but uh, for me to uh, best, for me to present myself is totally different than for me to study. Would you agree with that? They don't even mean close to the same thing. They're not even remotely related. But, but when I, we all know what it means to study, don't we? We understand when I picture in my mind, uh, here at this late in life, I have decided to go back to school and I've already finished up my associate's degree and I'm working on finishing up my bachelor's degree. And if you walk in my house into the kitchen, 
you know exactly what I'm up to. There's a laptop out on the table. There's papers everywhere. There's multiple books laying out. Uh, I've got a cup of coffee sitting there, probably some nutty bars. And uh, <laughs> that's a joke if you ever come to Life Recovery. And, uh, um, and I'm yelling at everybody to be quiet and quit talking to me. Because what am I doing? I'm studying. There's, there's work involved in studying. There is... Uh, um, a discipline involved in studying. So why do people not study the Bible? It's obvious that that's a commandment. And you know, most commandments, we make an attempt to keep. We make an attempt to adhere to commandments in the Bible. Obviously, if we ran down through the Ten Commandments, uh, we would place them on some type of, uh, of, of top ten list. But, you know, a commandment in the Bible is a commandment. The, the command to study, the, uh, to show thyself approved, is no different than the commandment to thou shalt not steal. They're both commandments. You've each and every one of you, as a Christian this evening, have been commanded to study the Bible, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. That last phrase, rightly dividing the word, is extremely important. We're going to talk about that some tonight. But before we get started too deep in the lesson, I, I asked the question, or I, I thought about it this afternoon, what are some reasons or why are some reasons that people don't study? I think a lot of it has to do with application. People in the world, now not, not you, not the Wednesday night crowd that's sitting here. This, this is not you. Uh, but, but a lot of people question whether or not this archaic book can really apply to our lives and how we live in 2016 in, in, in America. So as a result of that, they discount the Bible and they don't study it and they don't adhere to it. They don't read it. Uh, a lot of people, uh, another reason would be apathy. I like the definition of apathy and ignorance. I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> and that's really how some people approach the Bible and study the Bible. They say, well, I don't know about that. I don't, you know, I don't really have time for that. Uh, really, studying, and keep in mind, I, under, I want you to understand that we are separating uh, your devotions from studying the Bible. Uh, you're reading uh, the daily bread in the morning while you drink your coffee. It's not the same thing as studying the Scripture. It's a, it's a totally different ballgame. Um, studying the Bible is work. It's effort. It's, it, it takes some, but it's a very rewarding thing, just like anything else that you work hard at. Uh, I think a lot of times for us, it's schedule. <clears throat> My wife and I were talking about a uh, an event that they had the other day, and, you know, they planned for it and put it on Facebook and, and, and had very poor turnout for it. And we talked, it was no big deal, but we talked about what the reason for that was. And really it just boils down to one thing, man, people are busy. They have good intentions. They, they want to be there. They want to help you out. And when you have something happen in your life, man, there's always people there for about the first five minutes. And then it's not, it's not intentional because you can't find them with a, a you know, a search warrant, a team of bloodhounds. They're just busy. We're busy. We got a lot going on. Nobody works a 40-hour work week anymore. Nobody works from, from 9 to 5 Monday through Friday and has the weekends off. It, it just, it's just not reality. Man, we all work crazy hours. Um, I, I work at the church full-time. I have some side things that I do to try to supplement income. And, you know, not, not that the church doesn't take good care of me, but I want more. Uh, <laughs> You know how that is. We're always working, doing extra things. It's just schedule. We're just covered up. Life in general, man, if you have children, thankfully, uh, my oldest is married and on her own. Uh, my son, my second, he gets married next month. I'll get him off the food bill. And, and that only leaves me with my 16-year-old daughter, and she's like a cat. I only see her a couple of times a week, and she's very low-maintenance. <laughs> So, so, but you guys that have young children, you guys that have children that are, you know, elementary age, middle school age, are involved in sports and cheerleading and, and whatever else kids do, it's crazy. It is insane, the schedule that you have to keep for two or three kids running in different directions. And, and that certainly would play a factor in why people don't study. You know, another reason is people are just skeptical. So people haven't really decided whether or not they even believe the Bible. I don't think that applies to this crowd at all. It's Wednesday night in the middle of the summer, and you're here at church while the pastor's out of town, and you guys all knew he wasn't here because he wasn't here Sunday. Y'all are here, and you love Jesus. 
Uh, you're here, you probably knew you were going to have to listen to me, and you still came. So, <clears throat> so you're not skeptic. Uh, for some people, it's monotonous. You know, they just, I don't know what it is. If you have insomnia, read the Bible. And it's not because it's boring. I think it's the devil does something to you because he doesn't want you to read the Bible. Uh, and some people view uh, studying the scriptures being a little monotonous. But you know what I think with the bulk of a crowd like this, with a group of people like this that are dedicated enough to come to church on a Wednesday night, you love the Lord enough, you guys are most likely... I would say the greatest majority of you are involved in a small group. You're involved in ministries here. <clears throat> you're serious about it. You're serious about your walk with the Lord and being involved in church. You know what your problem is with Bible study? It's method. It's method. You, you become discouraged because you, you can't really get it to work out. It doesn't, you know, some of it is a struggle for you. And I'm going to tell you right now, <clears throat> man, once you establish a method for studying the Bible, and you make some practical discoveries in the Scripture, it's going to do a couple of things for you. It's going to increase your faith, one, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And when you discover things on your own about the Scripture, and you're able to defend something in the Scripture that you believe and stand on, it's going to transform you. And what it's going to do is just like, it's like saying sick him to a dog. It's going to make you want to come back for more. But if we just walked out here, great example, the parking lot out here. About every 30 minutes, I go in Dustin's office because I don't have a window. I'm not on that level yet. I'm still pretty entry level here. <clears throat> I don't have a window in my office. So I'll go in Dustin's office and look at, Buchanan's got a window. <clears throat> I'll go in, but he don't let me look out his. I'll go in Dustin's office and just look out the window. And it amazes me how that those guys can get on those tractors and start driving them around and scraping gravel around. And, and, and after a week or so, it looks like it does out there now, and then they're pouring concrete. What, what if somebody just said, okay, here is a, uh, here's a motor grader and a dump truck. Uh, we want you to get this. Thanks, man. I'm about to die. We want you to get this thing fixed up here so we can pour some concrete. Can you just imagine that? Now, some of you guys might can do that. I can't wrap my mind around it. That's the way studying the scripture is for some of you you'd come closer to being able to get that parking lot ready to pour concrete in than you would be able trying to approach the scripture well i can tell you this if i can do it it can't be that hard it can't be that complicated because i'm not you know i don't have a really extremely high iq so if i can do it i know you can do it and i think tonight for just a few minutes we can look at some keys of some things about understanding the bible that i really think will be a big help to you to make some practical discoveries. The first thing in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 13. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. The very first thing that you've got to understand about Bible study, the, <coughs> and the first key to understanding the Bible is the Holy Spirit. It's not a math book. It's not a history book. It's not a science book. You can't take it and on your own and with your own knowledge, just work yourself through it and figure it out. You must have help from the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking to the disciples about when he's going to be gone and they'll be left there by themselves. And you can imagine the, uh, uh, the, the nervousness of those disciples feeling like they were going to be abandoned and left alone. And Jesus told him, I will send a comforter. And he described this Holy Spirit as a teacher. Now, one of the things, I, my, my major is behavioral science. I do a lot of counseling, I work with a lot of uh, in, in addiction recovery with people here at the church, and that seemed like a reasonable, it's a mix between sociology and psychology, and I'm really not set up for it, but <clears throat> I felt like it would kind of validate some of my life experiences and give me the opportunity to counsel people, but uh, they require a math. And so I had to take this math class. And here I am uh, in my mid-40s, early 40s. I haven't been in school in, you know, 25 years. And, and I'm having to take uh, a, uh, I don't even remember what it was, like a pre-calculus class. 
Now, I'm telling you right now, I'm really not set up for pre-calculus. I'd rather try to get that parking lot figured out out there than pre-calculus. And uh, so I go in and I, I get some home, you know, I sit in the first class and I listen, I try to take some notes, try to figure this thing out. And I go home and we've got some homework to do. And I realize the answers are in the back of the book, but that's not going to help me. I'm really at this point now, I'm not 17. I'm really trying to understand it now. And uh, I'm sitting at that kitchen table and, and I'm looking at it and I've tried to work the problem out two or three times and I can't make it make sense. And my son walks through and he's an engineer major. He, he makes me sick. Uh, he walks through, and I said, hey, hey, man, can you show me how to do this right here? And I promise you, he does this. He stops, and he looks, and he goes, oh, it's X equals 4. Goes walking out I to the back of the book, and it's X equals 4. I said, wait a minute, man, that didn't help me. you got to show me how you did that. He said, Dad, I'm not sure I can dumb it down that much. I said, I don't always tell you, if you can't just look at that and figure it out, I, I don't even know how to. You know what he was? He was a very poor teacher. Okay, And I'm grateful to not that that Holy Spirit, he's a lot better teacher than that. He's set up and equipped and what he's, he, he indwells you. He knows your struggles and your weaknesses. And he can help take a guy like, man, one of the greatest preachers I ever heard. I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he preached the very first big day we had here at Temple Baptist Church, way back in the Civic Center in the early 90s. He was a guy named Curtis Hudson. And if I remember correctly, Dr. Hudson had like a sixth grade education, dropped out of school, was a postal worker when he got saved and called to preach. And uh, when, when his son was telling my brother and I this story, it was hard for me to believe that, that his dad, Curtis Hudson, who was the editor of the Sword of the Lord newspaper, had a sixth grade education. If you'd heard this man preach, he was like a senator. He was an orator. I mean, he was amazing, his vocabulary and the way he could communicate the scripture. And he reached out and he pulled a commentary off of one of his shelves. This is his son. And let us read. He said, this was my dad's first commentary. And he wrote a prayer in the front of that commentary. And I opened it up and read it. And, and, and it was okay, but it looked like a third grader wrote it wrong-handed. And, and the words were misspelled. And it was, the grammar was terrible. Now, the meaning was wonderful. How that he asked the Lord to help him to understand the scripture. And to understand and to bring him along and to educate. And where he had gotten from this first commentary and that prayer that he wrote in there to where I heard him preach as a, as a teenager and a young man and in our church, it, it was amazing. He never went back to school. There's no kids in here, so I'm not discouraging school. <laughs> what he did was he sought the help of the Holy Spirit to reveal things in the Scripture that you just can't get like you can get from a science book. Does that make sense? It is imperative that you have the assistance of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-12 through 12 says, As it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, Neither have entered into the hearts of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. <clears throat> the key, the very first key, the place where you start in understanding the Scripture when you study is with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. If you don't call on Him and you don't get Him involved in your attempts to study and understand the Scripture, then let me assure you, you, you're, you failed before you've even gotten started. You must have that teacher. Thankfully, I got back to that calculus class, and I sat down and asked a few questions and had a really patient teacher and went and got some extra help, and I made an A in the class. It wasn't because of my ability. It was because I had a really good teacher that helped me along through that class. That Holy Spirit is way better of a teacher than that lady was at Wallace State in teaching calculus. The very first key to understanding the Bible is through the involvement of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that is imperative 
for you to understand, for you to get your mind wrapped around when you study the Bible is the historical division of the Scripture. Now, if you don't under... Okay, let me explain it to you like this. Uh, there's a big word in, in biblical study uh, called a dispensation. What a dispensation is, basically, is it's a period of time. And that period of time, the Bible is broken up into dispensations. And what that means is that God deals with different people in different times in different ways. Now, that doesn't, I, I know every time you say that, somebody wants to quote God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is in essence. But man's not the same. And man has failed so many times, God has had to change in how he deals with man because he's merciful and he's gracious. And so in these different time frames in the Bible, God has been dealing with man in different ways. The very first historical division in the Bible is obviously, you can break it down into two. The first one's going to be the Old Testament. All right? Now, let me say this before I go any further, and this is on recording. I'm going to look right into that camera right there, okay? I'm not telling you that you don't need your Old Testament. It is imperative that you have the Old Testament. What I am telling you is that when you're reading the Scripture, you have to understand what historical division that that Scripture goes into. All right? For instance, the first thing that you have is the law. Genesis through Deuteronomy is, is what's known as the Mosaic Law. And, and it's also crucial that you understand when you're reading the Bible, when you're studying the Bible, is that God is dealing with his chosen people in the Old Testament. He's dealing with a nation in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's dealing with individuals and with the church. Two different things. Two different ways that he's dealing with man. Uh, that's a whole other class. But the first thing is the law. And that's where God begins to uh, lay out his requirements for his chosen people, is this law. This law is the thing... That basically, you know why the law is important to us in the New Testament or in the church age and why we still need the law today and why you don't discount it and cut it out of your Bible? Because it is the law that shows us that we're sinners. Without the law, we don't see that we're sinners and we don't understand our need for salvation. That's the importance of the law today. But the law then, when God established the law and revealed it to his chosen people, that was their code to live by. That's in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Uh, Joshua through 2 Chronicles, you have a portion of history books so that we can understand what the, the children of God or what the, the children of Israel and the nation went through to get to where they were at and understand the line of Christ and how that all worked out, the, the prophecy that was fulfilled and all the wonderful things that happened through that history, wonderful principles that we can apply to our life through those scriptures. The poetry books, Job through Song of Solomon. Psalms and Proverbs are timeless. There's nothing in those passages that you can't make application about in your life today. But it is important to know where, who God's talking to, where those things belong. Um, Isaiah through um, Ezekiel are the major prophets. And then the last thing is, is Daniel through Malachi are the minor prophets. These historical divisions of the Old Testament are important for you to understand where you're reading, what's going on. When, when, um, when Isaiah is talking about the judgment of God in Isaiah, he's talking specifically to the nation of Israel. He's not talking to church members at Temple Baptist Church. Now, if you continue to transgress God's law, I believe he'll judge you. But you've got to understand what's going on. Well, the next thing, uh, the next historical uh, division would be the New Testament. Now, that seems pretty simple, but the New Testament is broken up into some different divisions, too. The first thing would be the Gospels. Now, the Gospels, you have the three synoptic Gospels, and what those are, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, give a story uh, from an earthly perspective from three different views about Jesus. Uh, it's really important to understand the book of Matthew. There are four books in the Bible that more false doctrine and more confusion come from than any other books. That would be Matthew, Acts, James, and Hebrews. 
Those four books right there, a lot of people get hung up and confused and, uh, and, and, and through misinterpretation, they have a terrible time with those books. Now, the book of Matthew, to understand it and to know what's going on there, you got to know that Jesus is offering the kingdom of heaven to the Jews. He's offering himself as a Messiah. So he's talking to them about things that would be available to them and about a way of life and how things would be in a kingdom age if they accepted him as a Messiah in the first three quarters or at least the first half of Matthew. When you try to take those things and apply them to where you're living right now in the church age, what's going to happen is it's not going to work out exactly like that and you're going to be discouraged. And your faith is going to be damaged because you tried to make application about something that really wasn't even talking to you. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean you cut it again. Don't, somebody's going, somebody will email the preacher and say, but Jeff said we didn't need the book of Matthew. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to understand the application of the book of Matthew. The next thing is uh, a historical transition book in the book of Acts. Again, another one of the books that is greatly misunderstood. Uh, you, you don't establish doctrine in a history book. You don't establish doctrine in a book where it's describing the acts of the first church and what took place. And there are things from a historical standpoint that can never be duplicated that took place in the book of Acts. Well, again, people will say, well, God can do anything. Well, yes, God can do anything. But there's nobody living today that was living prior to Jesus dying on the cross. Um, I'm sure he could work that out somehow, but I don't see it happening. So from a historical standpoint, there are things that were taking place in the book of Acts that don't take place now. It can't be duplicated. It can't be repeated. The next thing is uh, the Pauline epistles. Um, that, that is the, uh, from Romans to Philemon. And those books, those books are written by the apostle Paul. And we'll talk about that a little more. I'll get into that a little deeper in just a second. Uh, the next section would be, uh, the Jewish epistles, which, uh, uh, would be Hebrews through, through the book of Jude. And then the last book, uh, the ap apocalyptic revelation, the book of revelation. And if you understand how those things are divided up, you're going to have a lot better chance of with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, got to start there. It's the most important thing. If you don't have that involved in your Bible study, then don't even attempt it. But once you involve the Holy Spirit in your Bible study, and then you begin to approach this thing, and you understand the historical division of the Scripture, you put those two things together, and now you're on a track to being able to understand the Bible. Look at this little chart. It's in your, it's in your notes, I think, if you got the handout. I hate looking at Man, I am really bald, aren't I? You know, you can never see yourself from the back. And when I look up there, I see really how bald I am. Here's a great, here is a, a chart of these, these scriptural divisions that go along with the dispensations that we talked about. That Old Testament section there is prior to, you know, when Jesus was still dealing with nations, with the nation of Israel. Then you see the Gospels have their section and Jesus dying on the cross towards the end of those. And then that, that Acts, that transition book that transitions from Jesus' ministry on earth and the Gospels, that first church uh, the history of that first church, and then into the church age. And then you have the tribulation age, and those books of Hebrews through, Revel uh, Hebrews through Jude specifically, uh, if you look at how those books start out, how they're addressed. Okay, let me give you a hint here. This is, this is going to be a tough one. If we had a test, I'm not sure that all of you would pass this question. Who do you think the book of Hebrews is written to? Who? Excellent. The name of it is Hebrews. Now, perfect example. Hebrews is a book that is just full of, of excellent truths, great things we can apply to our life, but it's written to Jews. The book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, Galatians, Philemon, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, all of those books uh, that Paul wrote are written specifically for the church age in which we live in now. 
Those are the books that we get our doctrine from. Those are the books that apply to where we live right now in 2016. So if you understand that historical division of the Bible, along with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, that takes us into the next thing. Number three, what we're looking for to understand, key to understanding the Bible is accurate <clears throat> interpretation. Now I want to read this verse to you, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now let me just stop right here. I got plenty of time. If we read the scripture, the preceding scriptures to that, Peter gives a description of an experience that he had had on the Mount of Transfiguration where he heard God audibly speak about Jesus, where he made the statement, the same as when Jesus was baptized, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Peter gives that account and he goes on to say, but we also have a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? More sure than the experience that I had on that Mount of Transfiguration. More sure than the things that I've seen. More sure than the things that Peter felt. More sure than the traditions that he had known as a kid growing up. That book right there supersedes all of those things. Experience, traditions, a more sure word of prophecy. You can put your, 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 your weight on this book. You can put your confidence and your faith in this book. It goes on to say there, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto the light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost." <clears throat> can i tell you something tonight there's not two ways to see it there's just not you, you can't see it your way and i see it my way because there's not a your way and a my way there's a his way and that's it now i'll be the first one to say that <clears throat> there is no way that my view of everything about the scripture is 100% accurate. I mean, I think it is because if I thought I was wrong about something, I would change, right? I mean, that's pretty simple. But truthfully, because of my human limitations, I'm going to be mistaken about something. But the fact remains, you can't revert back to that excuse of, well, you just see it your way and I see it mine. Well, that's just how you interpret it. There is no private interpretation of the scripture. There is only one interpretation of the scripture. And when you invoke the assistance of the Holy Spirit, you apply that historical division to the scripture. That's going to assist you to be able to accurately interpret what's going on here. That brings us to the fourth thing. The fourth thing and keys to understanding the Bible is proper application how it is applied. Now, this first 1 Corinthians 10, 32 is going to lead us into some more things here. It says, give none offense, neither. Now, Paul here breaks down the three possible groups that he could be talking to. He says, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Those are your three choices about who could be being addressed and how you can make application about Scripture. Here's what I hear. When this is not properly interpreted, it's misapplied. You'll see preachers take Old Testament Scripture where God is obviously talking to the nation of Israel and try to interpret that, that he's talking to the church in today's age and then make application from it. Well, he's messed up because he misinterpreted it, and when he misinterpreted it, it made his application inaccurate. It made it askew. What happens is you become discouraged by that. Let, let me give you a personal example, okay? This is, I, I'm already ready. I'm putting my seatbelt on because this is, this is probably going to shake some of you up. And you know, remember what I said, I could be wrong. I don't think so, but <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, Jesus 
is talking. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> now, who's he talking to? Work with me here. We're in class. Who is Jesus talking to in Matthew chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount? Everybody. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to the, to the Jews, and he is offering himself as a Messiah to the Jews. And what he's saying to them is, if you will accept me as your Messiah, we will set up the kingdom of heaven here on earth right now. And he begins to describe what that will be like. The Beatitudes. Let me, let's just start with a really easy one that we all know. The meek shall inherit the earth. How many of you? Well, everybody in here works a job, I guess, hopefully. Um, <clears throat> how many of you have ever seen in a corporate situation, especially, or, or a place where there is, you know, a, do, do the meat get very far in a corporate situation? Absolutely not. No, you've got to be a hustler. You've got to be assertive. You've got to be willing to step out there, take some chances, speak up, defend yourself, you know, uh, promote your, your agenda to be able to make advancements. Why is that? Because we're not living in a kingdom. You see, we're living right now, the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians, we're living in a sin-cursed world that is ruled by Satan. And what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5 there, he is offering them a kingdom and himself as a Messiah if they will accept him. And he's telling them about a utopian situation that they'll set up if they'll just accept him. He goes on in Matthew chapter 6. And here's the personal illustration. I am, uh, um, if you don't know my story, um, I, tell, I, I use illustrations all the time in life recovery because everybody there knows the story. If you don't know my story, go back to January of 2013 in the, on the uh, website and, and listen to my, my, my uh, testimony. But the short version of it is I, I did 67 months in federal prison. So you have to understand that to understand this story. I am closer to God at this particular point in my life than I've ever been. While I'm in prison, it's a very, very um, controlled atmosphere. Um, I, I have a tremendous amount of time on my hands. Uh, I don't have a lot of obligation. I had a really good setup, okay? Long story, but I'd been there a long time, and I, uh, I was really established, and I, I had a good situation there. So I spent a lot of time studying my Bible, reading, had a regular fasting regiment. Uh, I mean, I was close to the Lord. I had really developed and worked on my relationship with the Lord where he wasn't a genie in a bottle because I didn't have to ask for anything. I pretty much, I was really in a good situation where I was taken care of from the standpoint I didn't have any house payments. I had to worry about what I was going to eat because they fed me. The security was great. They had a fence around the place. Nobody was going to come in there and hurt me. I mean, it was really nice. Sometimes I'll refer to when I lived in a gated community. That's what I mean. <laughs> but so my relationship with the Lord became really close. Um, we began to pray um, that, that, uh, for a furlough. Now, what a furlough is, is that's when you actually get to leave there. Um, I, I have what's called community. Um, I, I could go out of the community in other words, uh, and work it somewhere out there and come back, similar to like the work release guys that come here. And, and furloughs were a, it was just a done deal. You know, six months before you were released, they would let you go home and, and maybe get your driver's license, maybe even get a job lined up, uh, kind of reconnect back with your family, come back, finish this for your sentence, and you're kind of a leg up when you go home. Well, we begin to pray about this furlough, and it should have just been a rubber stamp deal. Well, I began to ask, and I began to seek, and I began to knock, just like it says in Matthew chapter 6. Well, they got rubber stamped okay. The big fat denied. And the reason that that was so important to me at that particular time was because my daughter was graduating from high school as the salutatorian, and she was giving a speech, and it was really important to be there. Now, I was profoundly disappointed to the point that my faith was damaged 
I didn't understand it. And, and I, I tried to go back to that scripture and make sense out of why I seeked and why I knocked and why I asked, and this thing didn't happen. And it wasn't until I continued to study and months and years later that I began to understand that verse was not written specifically to me in the time that I live in now. So I can't be discouraged about something that's not written to me and for me in the time that I live in now. Do I believe that God answers my prayers? Certainly I do. Do I believe that he opens when I knock? Do I believe that I'll find what I seek? Sure. But I also know more appropriately applicable to where I live now is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where Paul sought the Lord three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed and God didn't do it. He didn't answer his prayer. He didn't open the door. He didn't find what he was seeking for. What God told him was, my grace is sufficient. He said, you may not get exactly what you're asking for, but I'll help you to be able to get through the situation that you're in. Because you live in a sin-cursed world that's ruled by Satan. You see, what happens is, in a kingdom age where people are living in a utopian situation with an omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God sitting on the throne, they won't ever ask for anything that they're not supposed to have. So guess what happens? They always get it. You know, when my son was little, he was a big eater. He loved to eat. And, and so he would eat and eat and eat and eat and if he asked for more green beans, guess what we did? Shovel them to him. Can I get some more of those green beans? Sure, you can have all you want. We'd give him all those green beans he wanted. Guess how many pieces of chocolate cake he got? One. Maybe. One piece. He couldn't keep getting that. Why is that? Because that's not what he needed. That's not what he was supposed to have. So we don't always get what we seek for, what we ask for, and what we knock for because we're not always going to ask for the things that we should have. In the kingdom of heaven, they always ask for what God wants them to have. That's why they always get it. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference in historical division there and making appropriate application about a scripture according to the time in which you live? And once I understood that, guess what happens to my faith now? It's restored. Because I understand what the scripture, how it's set up, what it means, and what had once discouraged me now encouraged me. You know what's great about the story? And I can't go into details too long of a story. It would, it would have been beyond damaging had that furlough have been approved. And God knew that. I didn't. Had that furlough have been approved, there's no way for me to describe to you some of the things that would have happened and it could have destroyed my whole life. But God knew that and I didn't. All I could see was I wanted to be at that graduation. You know what? My daughter was okay. She made it. I mean, it was a high school graduation and it was a big deal and it was great and I was glad she was salutatorian, but she was still able to give the speech whether I was there or not. God knew what would have happened had I been there. I didn't. So it's not always what it appears to be. You've got to make correct interpretation and application based upon historical division and certainly help from the Holy Spirit. So once you do those things, once you look at those things, the proper application, there's two questions you've got to ask. There's no way to do that gracefully, is there? Two really important questions you got to ask. Who's doing the talking and who's being talked to? Now, we go back to the story about Matthew. Jesus is doing the talking and he's talking to who? Jews. When Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 about how that he sought the Lord three times and he was told no and he said, my grace is sufficient, who is Paul talking to there in that verse, in those scriptures? Who? He's talking to the Gentiles, to the church. That's directly applicable to us. That, that is straight to us, where we live right now. So it's important for you to know who's talking and to whom's being spoken to. Let me illustrate it like this, okay? Family's got two twin sons, okay? They've got, they've got George and Bill. George, they're both seniors in high school. George is going to the University of South Alabama, and Bill is going to the University of North Alabama. And they're both going to live in the dorm rooms. 
Okay, you follow me? Now, George gets his letter and his packet from the dorms at USA first. He gets his from South Alabama first. They're directly to him, written to him. Bill reads his. Now, let me ask you something. When Bill is reading George's mail, can he get some understanding about what dorm life is like? Sure he can. Can he get some understanding about how the rules may be in a dorm room and what the expectations are? Maybe an idea about what what you can and can't do? But it's not going to be specifically to Bill till he gets his paperwork from North Alabama. Then when he gets this paperwork from North Alabama, he's reading his own mail that's to him, for him, and specifically addressed to him in the situation that he's going to be in. Does that make sense? That's why those other places in the Bible that are not specifically written to us, we don't cut those out because we can certainly get principles. We can understand the history. We can understand what God's trying to say. We've got the law to show us that we're sinners. All of these things are important things. You don't cut those things out of the Bible. The science of the Bible is amazing. You know, for all of those years that they thought the earth was flat, if they would have just read where the God says that he rests his feet upon the circle of the earth, they would have known that it was round. You know, for the years that the bubonic plague was destroying Europe, if they would have just read how that the priests washed themselves in running, flowing water, and that was part of the requirements, they would have known not to wash their hands in that stagnant water, which is what was spreading that plague everywhere. Because the Bible's timeless. There's no scripture that is, that is not useful. But you've got to put it and understand it, and it's who's being talked to, or who's doing the talking, and who's being talked to? Who's being spoken to? Then you can have a better understanding and make better, better application for it. So in just the last few minutes here, we want to look at, at uh, I just messed up my notes. I'll never get them fixed. There we go. Why we should, why we should study the Bible. Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I don't have these verses in here, but I, right before I came out, I was reading Hebrews chapter 5, the last part of chapter 5, first part of chapter 6. It talks about how that... that that the Bible, uh, so many of those people were stuck in the milk of the word. And, and it talks about Paul, or not Paul, because I don't believe Paul wrote Hebrews. We had that big debate. Um, <clears throat> the author of Hebrews talks about how that you need to go on past that milk. A preacher, I think it was Sunday before last year. It might have been last Wednesday night. He, was, he talked about how that, that he had somebody bring her baby up here. You remember that? Who was that? Brittany. Had Brittany bring her baby up here. And he talked about how that, that 20 years from now, if, if, if Brittany came back up here with that baby, and it was still a baby, and it was still drinking milk, she was still a baby, she was still drinking milk, something's wrong. That's not normal. And then in Scripture, it's the same way. There are people, there are churches all across the United States that are full of church members that have been saved 10, 15, 20 years, and they're still on the milk. They haven't moved on. Why is that? Because they don't study. They're just not studying the Scripture and moving past those things. And he goes on in chapter 6 to say, man, we need to move past some of these basic foundational things. You know what? If you're coming here to get all of your understanding about the Bible, you're missing out. It's like a big bottle up here that you're getting stuck in your mouth. You're responsible to study and to seek out the Holy Spirit to help you to understand the Scripture and to establish a relationship with the Lord. It's not all based upon Brother Carter to do that for you. It's based upon you to do it for yourself so that you can move past that milk and get to that meat. Well, there's a couple reasons why we want to do that. The first reason is to stimulate growth. You know, that, it's exactly like the illustration with, with Brittany's daughter. If, if that baby doesn't get the proper nutrition, 
she's going to have growth issues. If she doesn't get what she needs, uh, she's not going to grow the way she's supposed to. But as we grow, and as we, I remember, you know, it's been, seems like forever ago since my kids were little, but I remember as they began to eat some mashed potatoes. You begin to give them, I remember my favorite thing, and I used to always get in trouble for this, but I always get a little bit of ice cream on your finger and give it to them. Boy, they'd tear that up. They love that. And then you start moving them up. Pretty soon they're eating some peas, and they're eating that stuff out of the, the, the little Gerber baby jars. The peaches, I really always liked those. They didn't get a lot of those. I would give them, and I'd eat two bites and give them a bite. And but you move forward. And it stimulates growth. You get different nutrition, different vitamins, older vitamins that older children are prepared to be able to, to, to digest. You should be doing that as a Christian in your walk with the Lord. You should be moving forward. You should be moving ahead. And in that growth, you're ready for different nutrition. Well, the first thing it talks about in this passage that we should see here is we should have, A is what we believe. That is doctrine what we believe. Now, I'm teaching Sunday school right here at this church back in the early 90s, years ago. And, and, and there was a movement at that time, and it was a big evangelical movement. And if you like it, God bless you. I'm not knocking it. So don't do like this guy did. I made this guy mad in Sunday school, and he jumped up and ran out. I said something about this organization, and one of their taglines was we're all going to come together and worship the Lord or praise the Lord. and I don't even remember exactly how that, but the thing that stood out to me is they said, we want you to check your doctrine at the door. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm not checking my doctrine at the door for anybody because that's what I believe. That's what, that's what I base. Matter of fact, the Bible says if anybody calls divisions amongst you over doctrine to mark them and have no fellowship with them. Romans chapter 17. Doctrine is the very thing that we believe. And the first thing that we should do is we begin, should begin to have growth in the Scripture. And that, that Scripture is profitable for doctrine. The next thing, B, talks about reproof and correction. That's what we should not do. The Bible's going to give us instructions about what we should not do. The things that we're against. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm... There was a time that I was against a whole lot more than I am now. <laughs> I don't know why that, I don't know how that happens, but my list of things to be against has, has been reduced because I knew I could never keep them, so I might as well kick them off the list, you know? Now, that doesn't work on everything, but some of those things I was against, I don't think I could really scripturally support. That's the reason they got kicked off the list. But you know what? There's still a lot of things that we can scripturally support that we should be against. We should stand against. We should not be for. There's no way you can be a Christian and you can believe the doctrine that is taught in the Scripture and you can have a good biblical foundation and be politically correct. Those things are not synonymous. It's not possible, okay? So you might as well give that up. I can't be uh, LBGT friendly. Is that the right word? Is that the way you say that? They're not going to like me. Now, I don't, but I'll be honest with you, I don't dislike them. I'm not mad at them. I think they're terrible for the fabric of our society and our community, and they're, 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 but I don't hate them as individuals. They hate me. They can't stand me because I'm going to preach the Bible to them, and they don't like that because the doctrine of the scripture draws lines. You've got to make decisions about which one of those, which side of that line that you're going to stand on. And one of the things that it does is it reproves and it corrects about the things that you should not do. Now, we always take shots at the LBGT community because that's an easy target. But what about you? What are you doing? What are you involved in that you shouldn't be? You know, it's funny. There's so many people that, and you guys do it. There's some of you in it right here that do it. You can, you can look down at the floor if you want to, or you can blow me off if you want to, but you really think that that Friday night crowd, that, that's the life recovery crowd. Those guys that sit over in this section over here on Sunday in that second service that come with the, with the work release guys, I'm not like them. No, you're not like them. You're probably worse. No, <laughs> 
truthfully, uh, and I'm not, again, I told you this was going to be an unabashed promotion of my ministries tonight. Uh, everybody has something in their life they're trying to recover from. And, and I'm not sure how I got off on that, but I'm glad I'm here. I'm just going to stay a while. <laughs> Reproof and correction. We always want to take shots at the easy stuff, but what's going on in your life that the Bible, if you're studying it, and if you're reading it, and if you're really trying to grow in faith, you know what it's going to do? It's going to point some things out to you. Story about a, uh, about a, a Chinese missionary, a missionary to China that had a Chinese man that was, that was translating the Bible, and the guy quit on him. And he asked him, why, why are you quitting? He, he, wasn't, he was, a, uh, uh, I guess, a Hindu man or, a, yeah, uh, I guess a Hindu guy. Um, and, and he said, I can't read that book. It kicks me. Yeah, I understand that. It's kicked me a few times too, a lot of times. Because the Bible's a convicting book. And it's going to point out, it's a mirror. It's going to reflect what you are. And that's what it does. It reproves and it corrects. You know what the next thing it does? It tells us what we should do. What we should do. Instruction and righteousness. Holy cow, I have three minutes. I, th I didn't think I'd ever take up a whole hour. Let me get finished here. What we should do. And the last thing that it does there. That's pretty easy. It's going to tell us the things that we shouldn't do. It's going to tell us the things that we should do. We're going to base those things on the doctrine that we learn. And you know what the results are going to be? The end result, which is verse 17, says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The reason that we should study the scripture is to stimulate growth. You know what? What we believe. Now listen to this. If you don't hear anything else tonight, plug into this right here. What we believe will dictate how we behave. That's why it matters. That's why I won't check my doctrine at the door for anybody because that doctrine is what I believe. And what I believe is going to dictate how I behave. So the second thing, the last thing in this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. First of all, we do it to stimulate growth. The second reason that we study the scripture is for stability gained. You know what? That first picture of that tree was a big old flourishing tree. But you know what? You see that on the top, but that root system that you see down below, that's what keeps that big tree from blowing over. That's what keeps that tree standing up. And this scripture, the, when you understand the scripture and you're able to, to study the word of God and gain knowledge from it and establish some things that you believe in, that you anchor yourself to, you'll have stability. There's three really great important things just an example of three questions that we should be able to answer tonight. First of all, why are you a Christian? What if some Muslim guy asks you, why are you a Christian? What's your answer going to be? Because I promise you, I was and lived in that gated community with plenty of Muslim guys. They can tell you what they believe. Promise you that. Can, can you tell me why you're a Baptist? Because let me tell you something, it's more than just a name on the sign. And that's a whole other class in TBI, and I certainly don't have time to get into that. But it's more than just a name on the sign. There is a difference. Things that are different are not the same. And there's a reason why we establish and we align ourselves with the Baptist denomination. Do you know what those are? If you don't, I encourage you to know that. Do you know why you go to Temple Baptist Church? You listen, I love the children's programs. I sit in my office and watched it. Uh, I can't figure out the dude with the mullet. He's something, isn't he? What's his name, Cletus? Cletus is ready. I love the children's programs here. I spent some time this past week working in the Mission Blitz, and I want to quit being the missions and outreach pastor. I want to trade jobs with, with, with uh, Andrew. I couldn't do that job nearly as good as he could, but, man, I f it was fun. I just love being with those kids, with those teenagers, had a good time with them. But you know what? That's not the reason to come to Temple Baptist Church. I've known, well, I'm, matter of fact, I'm positive. I've known, unless the berries are in here, I've known preacher longer than anybody in here because I was standing right out there when he pulled in the parking lot and I met him first. But that's not why I come to Temple Baptist Church. As much as I love him, as great a guy as he is, as much as I miss him when he's out of town, 
He's not why I come to Temple Baptist Church. Why do you come here? I come here because I believe this church stands on the Bible. I believe this church has a good foundation on correct doctrine. And they stand for what's right. And that's why I come to church here. What is that? What are those things? Do you know that? And can you answer those questions? Obviously, we're at triple zeros here. We can't go into that. But I encourage you to not. Study. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You incorporate that Holy Spirit. You look at that historical division. You make some some accurate interpretation and application about the Scripture, and you'll make some practical discoveries that are life-changing. And if you want more information that goes deeper than this, I encourage you, sign up for a TBI class this fall. I believe you'll enjoy it. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight, and thank you for this opportunity.